0: Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative, biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Verses like the ones I'm going to read in just a minute are uplifting because they point to God's promises to his children. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Well, that particular verse, Isaiah 58, 11, highlights promises from God. And he clearly states in that verse that he's going to guide us continually. He's going to satisfy our souls in drought. And we can assume that spiritually he's going to do that. He's going to strengthen our bones or strengthen us from within. And he's going to make us like a watered garden. Now, who among us Christians does not want that? We all want to be guided continually by our Lord. And moreover, we want our souls satisfied in times of spiritual drought. And we want to be strengthened from within, despite the pressures from the world around us. We want to experience being a watered garden that spiritually refresh, refreshes us over and over again, knowing that this spiritual refreshment never fails. Well, the question is, how do we come to a place where these things exist within us and on a continual basis? The answer is simple to understand, really, but it's not found in the above verse. The answer is actually found in the verse before the verse I just read, verse 10 of Isaiah 58, which says this. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Then, verse 11 says, The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So it's interesting, isn't it? God actually delights to provide nourishment to our souls, strengthening our bones and causing living waters to flow up within, from within us. But there's a bit of a catch or an if regarding these things. It's found in the way we deal with other people, especially those Christian sisters and brothers within Christendom. Now, let's be clear before I go any further that no amount of works is going to earn salvation for us. It's just not happening. That's not the way it works. However, once we receive salvation, then our outlook on life and attitude toward other people should change immeasurably and it should be noticeable. That's what our sanctification is all about. Salvation granted to us is instantaneous and through it, we gain Christ's righteousness and uh, that happens once we express faith in the sinless life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. The process of being changed into his likeness or character is ongoing until the day we die. That is what we call our sanctification. So what God is telling us in the above verses is when we see the needs of the hungry and we feed them, we take care of that need, and when we see the needs of those who are afflicted and do what we can to alleviate their affliction, it's then that we begin to reflect God's truth, goodness, and light. As we do this in increasing measure, the promises of verse 11 will begin to take shape in our lives as we continue to live as Jesus lived by helping to meet the needs of the hungry and the oppressed. The greater we, we will experience his guidance, strength, and blessings. So, folks, if all we do is read and memorize verses like Isaiah 58, 11, without its context, then we're missing a great deal of. That God wants us to know. In fact, the first nine verses, you should read that, of Isaiah chapter 58, very, very clearly delineate how the Israelites were supposed to live before God. Yet they continually failed to do what God wanted them to do. And this is why judgment occurred to Israel from one generation to another often. Because of their failures to live as God wanted them to live. God wanted them to love their brothers and sisters within Israel. And that could be extended to those non-Israelites who became part of Israel through proselytization. They, 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 They saw what Israel had, they believed it, and they wanted to become part of Israel, even though they were not Hebrew. And there was provision made for them in the Mosaic Law. Now, the first five, the first nine verses, excuse me, of Isaiah 58 calls out the hypocrisy within Israel. Israelites lived as they wanted to live, and they didn't care if their brothers and sisters were mistreated, were hungry, or were experiencing injustice. They ignored these things and didn't reach out to help them. Yet they would be faithful to observe the fasts and other ceremonial parts of the law given to Moses. So they did the things outwardly that would impress maybe other Israelites. So the Israelites never saw their own hypocrisy and shallowness, and they complained that God hadn't heard them, even though they had observed the fasts and afflicted their souls by going without food so they could appear outwardly holy and righteous, Isaiah fifty-eight three. Now, even though they observed these ceremonies, To a T, as prescribed by Moses, here's how they lived according to God. Verse 3, starting there, Isaiah 58. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Remember, this is God talking. Verse 4, indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I've chosen, a day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? It seems clear enough, as far as God is concerned, that the Israelites did things outwardly only to appear holy and righteous, while well, they actually called into contempt man and God because of the hardness of their heart though they fasted but they completely ignored the heavy burdens that some Israelites were carrying some Israelites were forced to beg and no other Israelites would often come to their aid ignoring them so after all this we finally get to verses 8 and 9 in which God promises good things spiritual health and even physical healing for those who live their faith and did what was good in God's eyes so the if If is what they were to obey God from the heart and do and actually look for ways to help relieve burdens of those less fortunate than they. However, more often than not, religious leaders and priests either took advantage of the less fortunate in Israel or brutally used them for their own selfish gain. Now, another prophet, Jeremiah, in chapter 34, has some interesting words that the Lord gives to the prophet Jeremiah to tell the people. And again, it emphasizes Israel's hypocrisy. This is a recurring theme in the nation of Israel. But you know what? As Christians, we can't sit there and haughtily condemn or judge Israel if we're doing the same things, can we? Here's Jeremiah 34, 8 through 10, I believe. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now, when all the princes and all the people who were entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and they let them go. Again, that's uh, Jeremiah 34, verses 8 through 10. Now, what's interesting here is that everything seems good. It actually appears that they did what God wanted them to do, doesn't it? Well, verse 10 then tells us, hey, they obeyed and let them go. Very clear. Speaking of their Hebrew slaves, their brothers. The Israelites released their fellow Israelites from slavery as the Lord commanded. All good, right? Well, let's read verse 11. But afterward, they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. Huh. Okay, so let's get the picture. They released them from bondage and then immediately took them back as slaves. What? Well, the level of hypocrisy is alarming but they could say, hey, we obeyed the Lord and we let them go, didn't we? We did. Well, I'd say this was severely childish of them, but it's actually worse than that because it was an attempt to deceive God by following purely the letter of the law while ignoring the spirit of the same law. In Jeremiah 34, 17 and the following, God proclaims to them what was going to happen. And it's not pretty. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, and I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf— I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. Wow. Well, it seems clear enough that people who try to play games with God lose much in the process, including sometimes their lives. What, if any, application is there for Christians today? based on all of this that we've just gone through with Isaiah 58, Jeremiah 34. Well, there's several things. First, if you want to know God and understand him on a growing basis, and if you want to experience being guided by him, being spiritually refreshed by him and firmly planted so that spiritual growth is ongoing, we must do certain things from the Heart, We must be willing to help our brothers and sisters in the Lord, in our church, our community, who are struggling. We may have to share food, help them over the rough places, or come alongside them and help buoy them up spiritually. We can also help those outside the church, but that's a bit more difficult. You have to decide if all those homeless people who stand on corners asking for money is something that you can or should do. Does your town have food kitchens for such purposes? If so, why have they not availed themselves of those food kitchens? It's very difficult sometimes to determine the truth when we see a person holding up a sign that says, Hungry. Will they take unopened, fresh food from you? Well, if not, why not? Second, we should be willing to help others from a pure heart, without selfish motivations. In other words, we should want to help others from our hearts. There should be nothing hypocritical in us. We shouldn't be helping to appear good outwardly, while inwardly we would like to be anywhere else. God wants and expects us to reach out to others because we want to help them, even if no one else ever sees except God. Now, if we do these things, then God will reward our efforts by fulfilling Isaiah 58 11 and other portions of God's word that are based on if clauses. If we do this, He will do that. I have unfortunately spent too much time focusing on wanting to draw close to God emotionally and spiritually, but without realizing that the only real way to achieve this is by putting my hand to the plow, as it were, and doing the very things. God commands me to do. Yes, He is absolutely a rewarder of those who seek Him, and we seek Him not through our emotions and our thoughts necessarily. We seek Him by fulfilling the things He wants us to do. Jesus became righteously exasperated with the crowds one day when He said to them, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Luke 6 46. Hmm. Is it safe to say that the average Christian does that a lot? I do it too often. Conversely, when we commit ourselves to doing the works that he wants us to do, our eyes are off ourselves and on to others. Is this why he can then bless us with spiritual blessings? His word indicates yes. I want to thank you for joining me today. And until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective.